Welcome back, or welcome for the first time. Um, grateful that you'd be here, and uh, excited to, to meet you and uh, know you better. Pretty exciting things happening in our church, and uh, we're excited about that. It kind of feels like core group all over again to me. Um, back to the beginning where it was just a few people in my living room, and, uh, and we just had so much fun um, serving the Lord together. And now we look at what God has done and how everybody has come on, and, and it's, it's pretty exciting about this new season as well. Um, we're in a series on John, um, so open your Bible to the book of John. Um, if you don't know where John is, that's pretty easy, so I'll give you just quick instructions. Split your Bible in half, start going right, and um, you're going to get to Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, and uh, get to John chapter 2. That's right, we made it through chapter one. Woo woo, come on, that's a pretty good deal. So 20 chapters left. <laughs> Not daunting at all, let's get into chapter two. All right, so hey, um, simply Jesus, today is Jesus believed. We've been over Jesus revealed, Jesus recognized, Jesus followed last week, and now we're Jesus believed, okay? What, what is it like to believe Jesus? What is it, how do I do that? Well you got to take belief in the context of the passage. And I'm going to get to the passage and read it for you. But there's a crisis that happens in the passage. How many of you guys have ever gone through a crisis? Okay, hold on. Before you raise your hand, I know it's, it's like kind of almost painful to raise your hand. If you've really been through a crisis, you're like, eh, I don't want to even admit that. I don't remember that. So just gently, just gently, as your pastor, I love you. I'm just trying to prove a point now, okay? I'm not trying to like put my finger in an old wound, but just if you've been through a crisis, raise your hand. All right, so a lot of us have been through a crisis. I would just say this, not in any kind of like, I told you so way, but like if you haven't been through a crisis yet, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, you will go through a crisis. So today's message is so important for all of us. Whether you're walking through a crisis right now, this might be just what you need to hear to remind you of the things you already knew, right? Or whether it's like there's a crisis around the corner and you just need to have this written down so you can go ABC. This is as easy as ABC. It seems simple, but in the middle of the crisis, it's not simple. So I've had several crises in my life. I had knee surgery and uh, that took me out of college basketball, which I thought was a crisis. It was really not a crisis. It's just college basketball. God was doing some great things in my life. Um, I had back surgery. I don't like that not that long ago. That was a bit of a crisis. We had Quinn. Um, well, we had all of our kids. That was all kind of a major thing. But uh, Quinn in particular, our fifth, he's six years old right now. He's a blast, but he was born with Down syndrome and we didn't know. So it's like crisis day. Um, how grateful we are that God showed us that he's not broken, that we're broken. And so crisis averted, <laughs> um, mostly. And um, but I want to talk to you about a crisis um, from when we planted the church, because that's kind of what I'm thinking about as core group and all that, and back in the day, right? So back in the day, it was August of 2011, and um, I got a phone call. I was preparing for core group. It was, uh, I think, a Friday. I'm pretty sure it was a Friday, because I usually prepared then. And um, I was preparing for core group, and, and here's what we're going to do, and you know, give the people some encouragement. We'll sing a couple songs, you know, kind of like a worship service, but light. And, and, and then we're just going to talk X's and O's of how we're going to plant this church for God's glory. 
I hardly ever answer my phone when I'm studying, but um, I had it beside me. It was my brother. My brother doesn't call me very often, so I was like, okay. Um, So I picked it up. And um, my brother was on the other end, and he said, Steve, I need you to come out to the house right now. Chuck just died. And I need you to come right now. That's it. Made my way up. That's a crisis. Chuck is my cousin. Beloved dad to many people I love. I made my way upstairs. By the time I got to the kitchen, I hit the floor. Because you got to beg God right there, right? You're like, whoa, hold on, wait, wait a second. God, what are you doing? And I did whatever I could do, right? I just took myself and my Bible out (laughs) to the house. And the whole time, I was thinking about eternity, right? Because death makes you think about eternity. It was a crisis. It was a day of crisis. I, I, I think it, even talking about it now brings a little in, in my life right now. And I'm sure if you're thinking about a crisis you've been through, it, it kind of gets, it, it's still kind of a little raw. That's important for this passage. How to have faith, how to believe when it's hard. That's what we're going to get after today, okay? You're at John Chapter 2, how to have faith, how to believe when it's hard, when you're in a crisis. Let me read the passage, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, circle that, that's a crisis. You wouldn't understand that now. You're like, go get another bottle of wine. That's dumb. This is an honor-shame society, and it was a shame to run out of wine. You could get sued Right? The bridegroom was the one actually paying for the wedding. Right, The groom, not the bride, was actually paying for the wedding. Uh, the bride would have, the family would have been paying the groom to take the bride, right? So there's a dowry involved. But the bridegroom is paying for the wedding. And if he doesn't do it well, if he doesn't provide the food and drink, it's a shame. It brings a lot of embarrassment. It's a crisis. And could even, you could even get sued for it. So it's a big deal. Like it's not starting on the right foot. Okay, so just circle that. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, That word servants is also deacons. Just that's a good, deacons are servants. Um, 
Do whatever he tells you. You should have that underlined in your Bible. Do whatever he tells you. When, when talking about Jesus, this is just a good mantra. Do whatever he tells you. Okay, great. Okay. Now there, was, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, the deacons, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Well done. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, two for two. When the, masters, when the master of the feast tasted, the water now become wine. Water now become wine. Just don't let that get lost on you. Water now become wine. That's a miracle. That just doesn't happen. It's not like your water jug and you add a little like Kool-Aid thing like we do now. It's like, oh, look at that. <laughs> you know, that's not what we're talking about. Out of nothing came something. That's creation. That's deity. That's God. That's a miracle. It's a sign of who he really is. Tasted the water, now become wine. He did not know where it came from, though the servants, the deacons who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. It's not like the bridegroom doesn't have anything to do right now. And said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, they're a little buzzed, that's what it means, then the poor wine, because they won't care anymore. But you have kept the good wine until now. That's a compliment. Well done. What are you doing? Verse 11, very key. This, the first of the signs... There's going to be seven of them from here till Lazarus raising from the dead. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in, at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here's what you need to know about miracles, about signs. Two things. They're right in the text, so I'm not even going to give you anything to write on. It's like, just put a one by, manifest his glory. Just put a little one by it. Two things happening when signs or miracles happen. One, God's getting glory. He's manifesting what he is. He's like, there it is. I'm full of glory. I showed you. You know, like he's just giving it to you. Okay? And then two, people are believing in him. Faith is being built, being grown, stretched. Greater faith is a result of signs and, and wonders, miracles. Okay, so let's get to it. A, B, C. I got to move fast. I only got a few minutes. Um, so how to have faith when it's hard. How to believe Jesus. How to believe this is okay when it doesn't seem okay. Number one. You're going to be like, really? I came for this? Like, I'm just, it, I told you it was simple. Ask Jesus for help. Like, that was easy. I mean, I could have came up with that on my own. I get it. Now, here's the deal, though. When you're in a crisis, you're not thinking clearly. And so you don't do the thing. You're like, duh, I'll just do this. When that happens, I'll just do this. Really? Will you? Or we'd be like freaking out. Ask Jesus for help. You'll see it here. 
On the third day, um, this is just kind of a side, it's kind of cool. Um, day one was what? When the Pharisees came to John the Baptist, right? Just a little recap for those that have been here or want to listen online. When the Pharisees came and he's like, who are you? He's I'm not the, I'm not the guy. I'm not the Messiah. That's somebody else. Day two, Jesus shows up and John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, the world. That was day two. Day three was when he said it again, but instead of saying it to the whole crowd, he said it to his two disciples, right? Andrew and John, right? And he says it to them and they're like, well, we're following him then. That's day three. And then day four is when Philip and Nathaniel, they start following Christ. Day five, day six, on the third day, day seven, okay? So just like we have a New Testament uh, or an Old Testament days of creation, John starts his book with seven days. He's like, I need you to know this is the first week of my life with Jesus. Here's what happened. It's pretty crazy. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus, it's interesting that he doesn't use his own name. John doesn't use his own name in his own gospel. And he doesn't use the name of any of his relatives or anybody close to him. Because that's not important. That's not the point. What was the point? Oh, let's just put it up there. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I'm making the slides guy work because this is what's supposed to be way later in the message. Here it is. John chapter 20, 30 through 30. He's good. He's good. Well done, Jeremy. Now, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples. Many. Well, 35 are recorded in the Gospels, but it's many more than that, right? Seven we're going to see in John. He did many signs which were not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the reason John's not like, hey, I'm John. <laughs> the reason he's not like, hey, this is Mary, because that doesn't matter. He's trying to say to them, hey, that doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus is the Son of God, and all of these signs are to point you to Jesus. So he doesn't even say Mary. He just says the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding and with his disciples, it's five or six now, right? <laughs> when the wine ran out, ah! it's, a, it's a crisis, right? You're like, dude, somebody dying seems like a bigger crisis. Yeah, well, somebody might die because the bridegroom's like, if I lose my wife over this, there's going to be a problem right? If I get sued because we didn't have enough food and drink, it's going to be on. I will not bear the shame of that. So this is a big, 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 everybody say big. Big, big huge, hairy deal. This is big. And so it is a crisis. When the uh, wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, said to him, they have no wine. All right. Why does she say that to Jesus? 
I'm sure your mind starts to run, well, like she knew he was God. She knew he could do miracles. Maybe she's seen him do a miracle before. If you've watched any movies about Jesus' early childhood, he was flinging miracles all the time, right? But the Bible says this was the first sign that he did. So I, I don't know how to reconcile that with the movie. Um, and I don't honestly think that Mary thought he was going to do a miracle. I believe she just thought he was going to take care of it. Here's why. We don't hear about Joseph at all. Where's Joseph? There's a wedding. It's a big deal. Where's Joseph? Not mentioned. Why not? When was the last time we heard about Joseph? When Jesus was 12. Now he's 30. Somewhere between 12 and 30, Joseph is, he died. And that was a crisis. But Jesus, being the firstborn of his family, took up the providing for and the protecting of his mom. And so when his mom comes to him and says, they ran out of wine. I'm in charge of this place. I'm the one hosting this feast. Like they ran out of wine. Help me. Could you and your buddies go, like, scrounge up the neighborhood? Like, could you, could you do this? And Jesus answers. Now, before you get, like, man, if Jesus can talk to his mom that way, so can I. <laughs> right? Like, this is the God of the universe, okay? This isn't just, like, get away from me. This, I mean, just, you got to know this. I studied it hard because when you read it, you're like, man, that's rude. Anybody thinking that's rude? I was thinking that. Right? Woman is actually a good, it's an enduring term. He's not like, he's not like, get away from me. He, he's, he's, he, he is creating distance. And you need to know this. He's creating distance. And it's a good distance. He doesn't say mom. He says ma'am. Right? He's like, ma'am? That ought to tell her something. Right? So I'm no longer your son right now that's going to meet and provide for your needs. This isn't a physical problem, Mom. This isn't that. And how do you know that? Because look at what he says. He says, Woman, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? This isn't my wedding, that's coming. Let me point to it. My hour, my hour is used a bunch of times in the Gospel of John. It means the cross. It means the resurrection. It's the week Jesus suffered, right? He was betrayed. He was denied. He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose again. That's his hour. That's when our bridegroom married the church, us. That's when he got married. All right, now listen, spiritually, right? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, like a distancing, like, hold on, mom, we're not going to do this physical thing. I'm on a spiritual journey. I have a father, my heavenly father, and I need to follow him. 
And so the timeline, it's not going to be your timeline. It's going to be his timeline. I do what the Father says to do. So my hour, just to prove that, my hour, um, chapter 4, verses 21 and 23, chapter 5, verses 25 and 28, chapter 7, verses 6, 8, and 30. Slow down, professor. Just type in my hour into like Bible Gateway. It'll, it'll do this for you, okay? It was pretty easy, actually. I just want to give it to you. Chapter 8, verse 20, all of those are my hours coming. And then he gets to chapter 12. This is how you know what the hour is. He gets to chapter 12 and he's like, the hour has come to be glorified. And then he says in chapter 13, verse 1, he's like, I'm going to depart. And that's part of my hour, right? And then he gets to chapter 17. I just want to show it to you. Chapter 17, this will really... I mean, when you kind of like are like blank picture, you got to color it in, like this will do it. Right here. Jesus praying before the hour, right? When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, chapter 17, verse 1, and said, Father, the hour, the cross, the resurrection, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's what the hour is. And Jesus is like, I came for this purpose. I came to die so that we all might live so that the bridegroom could marry the bride, the church, right? Have you accepted that invitation to the marriage? The best thing you could ever do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your groom, right? He's giving you a picture, and it's amazing what he's doing. And then you have this last phrase. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Let me ask you this question. Who did Jesus turn to when he was in a crisis? When his hour is right on top of him? Who did he turn to? He turned to the Father. He turned to himself, right? The three in one. He turned to the Father. Can I ask you this? Who do you turn to in a crisis? I mean, it's so easy to answer Jesus right now, right? It's so easy. But in the crisis, will you ask Jesus for help? Mary asked him for physical help. Could you help me provide, protect me? You're my firstborn. And he's like, no, 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 mom. We're not on the physical plan right now. Started my ministry. This is the spiritual thing. And I follow the timeline of my father, my hour hasn't come, but we're going to show a few people what it's going to look like. 
This is a private miracle. You need to know that. The servants knew. His disciples knew. Mary knew. That's all we know who knows. Probably no one else knows. The, the bridegroom doesn't know. The master of the feast doesn't know. The very private miracle to start his ministry. Ask Jesus for help. How are you going to do that? Let's get, can we get practical for a second? How are you going to ask Jesus for help? Get on your knees and pray. How is Jesus going to speak to you? Every word of it. Every word of it. Do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> so I would just say to you, in the time of crisis, crack this open and start reading. And do whatever he tells you to do. It's great advice from the word of God. Obey what God says. Experience the power, the love, the grace, the truth. Do you know what God says in his word about you, about him, about your situation? Because everything for life and godliness is right here in the word. He loves us and he's wrote, written it to us. All right. Second, how to have faith when it's hard. Number two, bring what you have. Bring what you have. See, the, the cool thing about miracles in the Bible is Jesus always uses what is right around him. Mud for the eyes. Here we go. Spitting mud, putting it on, right? Like he always uses what he has. And he's asking us to use what we have. So look what he does in this miracle. He's, he's like, now there were six stone water jugs, jars, that uh, were for Jewish rites of purification. You can look at Leviticus 11 and Mark 7, those are great. Write that down. Leviticus 11, nobody wants to go there. I understand. Just one chapter. That's all I'm asking for. And Mark 7, okay, the first part of that is all about what the Pharisees were all horked off at Jesus and his disciples because they, they ate without washing their hands. So what kind of water do you think is in the jars? A lot of people came through. I'm thinking they're not like, Wanting to drink from this jar. Just saying. Okay, so these are here for purification. I think that's interesting. And uh, they hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill up the jars with water. So what do they do? Do whatever he tells you. Mary, 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 Mary. He's like, don't want to cross Mary. Do whatever. Okay, aye, aye. We're going to, okay, we're filling up the jars. They're, they're, they're mostly full, Jesus, but... All the way to the brim. Why is it important all the way to the brim? To leave no doubt that nothing's being added. This is a bona fide miracle. All right? Nobody can be like, well, yay, put a Kool-Aid packet in there. No. This is something from nothing. This is God doing his work, what only God can do. It's almost as if, then he walks up to the water, right? Oh yeah, it's full of the brim, great. It's almost as if the water blushed when it met its maker, right? It's almost as if it was like, boom, turn into wine. You know, here we go. You're God. And he says, now take 
Draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And it says, so they, they took it. Like, if I was a servant, I'm like, when he drinks this, we're getting fired. Like, for sure, this is dirty water, man. Like, we are losing our job now. With fear and trembling, you're walking towards this guy, right? And the guy drinks it. And he's like, this is the best wine I've ever had tasted. Amazing what God can do if we just bring what we have. Just use the jug. I saw some jugs around the corner. Can we use those? Fill it up with water all the way to the brim. All right, just take some of that water to the guy. He used what he had. He used what he had. To get the miracle, they had to do something. They had to activate their faith. They had to believe. They had to be like, okay, yep, we're going to do it. Okay, yep. Are you willing to use what you have? I think about going into Kellogg, going into this school, and just kind of pushing all the chips to the middle. Just being like, yep, we're all in. Guess we're going to meet at Kellogg. Ooh, that's a lot of money. Okay, yep, we're, people are going to come. We're just going to go for it, right? Now think about that. We just took what we had, and we're like, all in. That's what he's doing. And that's what we're doing again. We're going to go to JM. A lot more at risk now. 500 people, not 47. Huh, 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 huh. Maybe we shouldn't change the game. Maybe they won't like it. I don't know. It's like, just follow God, right? You ask God for help. He's saying, just take what you have and give it to me. So that's what we're doing. I love that about God. He's like, you know what? You don't need a miracle. We don't have to be like, here's $10 million. Go build a building. It's like, just take what you have and do what you can. And God will meet you there. Sometimes we sit on our hands and don't do anything. The key to taking what you have and using it is, it gets your eyes off of yourself. Look at around you. Look at what you have in the middle of your crisis. Why do you have that exactly? Who gave that to you? Oh yeah, God did. And so you start to get grateful for what you have versus whining and complaining about the situation you're in. That's the key. So some things we have are time. Who do we get our time from? Prayer and avenue to God. Who do we get that from? Love. Where did I learn that? Ability, where'd you get your abilities from? Resources, how'd you get that? These are the things I have to offer. Like here, I'll just push them in. Why? Because they're God's anyway. I'm just gonna trust him in this. So I want you just to, as, as an end here, like could you just write down what you have? That's a good application point. On the first point, when you're like, ask Jesus for help, open up the word. Ask him for help and open up the word. Now, now, bring what you have. So if you want to bring what you have, here's what you do. Here's the practical application. Take out a piece of paper and start writing. What do I have? Take an inventory. Oh, look, God's gave me that. God gave me that. God gave me that. Okay, now I have what, what I can bring to the situation. Am I making this clear? If we just do these things, we'll be able to walk through a hard situation with faith. 
This last thing, I didn't see anybody writing anything down. I just, I just, I'm just that guy. I can't like just kind of like, you know, it doesn't matter if they do it or don't. It's like, write it down. In the name of Jesus, write it down. Just say, I need to make a list of what I have. Okay, and then later you can just write it down. All right. I don't know. Maybe that's my pride. Or maybe it's for you, from God. You decide. Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted, you know, you got this whole thing, the water became wine. What? It's a miracle. These guys saved their jobs. That's awesome. And this guy's all cranked up. He's like, dude, you didn't wait till the, you know, usually you serve the good wine first, but now you served it last. I mean, that was risky, but well done, you know. Here's the last thing. Consider the future glory. Simple as ABC. Ask, bring, consider. Ask Jesus for help. Bring what you have and consider the future glory. Here's what happens. It says in verse 7, or verse 11, this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Do you know what a sign, it doesn't say miracle, does it? Why not? Because sign makes more sense. Here's a sign from my house, okay? On the cul-de-sac, looks like this. Bam. That's the sign. The cool thing about a sign is the sign isn't significant. The sign points to what is significant. What's significant? The cows. Don't hit one. I mean, that's what's significant. Now, if you've been out to my house, you're like, where's the cows? When I was growing up, I used to go out to my Uncle Glenn's farm, and I used to help him vaccinate the cows. My job was to hold the tail up. Supposedly, that's supposed to numb the rump so he could, like, you know. If I had a dollar for every time he got kicked out, me hold, I don't know if I wasn't holding hard enough or if this is just a wives' tale to have, give me a job. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, it didn't work that well. He got kicked a lot. The sign is left over from when there were cows there, and it points to what's significant. There's cows, right? This sign points to something significant. There's an hour Jesus Christ is going to die. He's going to be raised from the dead. There's a marriage that's going to happen between you and him if you'll allow, if you'll take the proposal. Church, if you are part of the church, it also helps us grow our faith to see what's happening. That's crazy. That's the God we serve. Do you think he can't bring your neighbor to Christ? He can, today. Ask him. Bring what you have. Consider the future glory. And go tell your neighbor about Jesus, right? He can do it. And he wants to do it. The sign is something that points beyond itself to something greater. And what the sign is pointing to is Jesus Christ. He's God. He did something that only God can do. He made something out of nothing. That's amazing. Didn't he do that in your heart and life? Now think about it. First, you didn't have God in your life, and now maybe you do. How did that happen? He did that. 
He created something in you from nothing. He brought the Holy Spirit to bear in your life when you asked him to come in. It's crazy. It's crazy the work of God will do when you trust him. Here's what you need to know about trials, about crisis. Trials are about the future. So many times we're like, man, God's killing me. God's killing me. Trials are about the future. Whatever you're going through, it's about the future. It's about what he's doing. It's about what he's going to continue to do. Here's a verse for that. Just quickly, I'll throw it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Because I know some of you guys are going through a hard trial. And uh, it's a crisis and you need to hear this. Here's what it says. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Did he just call my crisis a light momentary affliction? Did I read that right? That's what he called it. That's what God, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, called our crisis. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. This right here that you're hearing today is an eternal perspective. When we face a trial, and we'll face many, we don't know what they will be. When we face a crisis, the way for us to choose faith, to exercise the faith that God's given us by his grace, is to ask Jesus for help. Get on your knees, get low, and then open the Bible and listen. Bring what you have. Just bring, if you got just a little bit. Five loaves and two fish. That's all I got. All right, that's what we're going to use then. Here we go. Just bring what you have and watch Jesus do it. Watch him multiply the gifts, abilities, time, talents, treasure, everything you have. And then always be considering the future glory. Think about your trial in light of eternity. And then you can use the word, this light momentary affliction is working something beyond what I could think or imagine to bring people to relationship with Christ and to grow my faith in a God. This wasn't the first time that his disciples believed in him. Remember, Andrew said, I found the Messiah. Nathaniel's like, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. It's not like the first time they ever believed. But their belief was growing in Jesus Christ because he was showing them that he was God. What is he showing you today? Maybe it's time to like stop trying to flirt with the world. Think that that'll be a good engagement for you. Maybe you need to just lay it down and marry Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. 
That's the best wedding festival ever. When you come to Christ broken, (laughs) no plan for my life. (laughs) What's your plan for my life? What do you want from me? How can I help you shine the light in this world? That's where our heart is at, even in the midst of a trial. It's a good word. Let's pray. God, you're creating something new in us, and we're forever grateful. Because of what we read in your word, our eyes are open to the fact that you're a loving Savior who's willing to say, hey, it's not physical, it's spiritual, Mom. (laughs) And uh, who's willing to command water to become wine and give a great wedding present to the the bridegroom and the bride. We serve you, Jesus, because you're amazing and you're manifesting your glory before us even today and you're building our faith. So God, these trials that we're going to face, whether it's now or this week or in the future, we submit to you in it and we're going to do whatever you say (laughs) because you're worth it. You're worthy. Thanks for changing us and making all things new. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.